The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT21 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm the father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mom to three girls, and I'm a CPA. My name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, currently in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, <laughs> The father to three teenagers who 
thank God in the next couple of weeks, we'll all be in college. And <laughs> the husband's a beautiful wife, Melissa. Very good. I'm glad that y'all are back together. I am glad that we're all back together. We kind of took a couple of weeks off here because we were watching the Olympic Games. Um, and so I imagine that most folks who are listening to podcasts are probably watching the Olympic Games as well. So no shocker, we're going to talk a little bit about the Olympic Games tonight. But uh, before we do that, let's just kind of catch up real quick. What you been up to, Michelle? Um, I have been really busy, kind of overdid it, I think a little bit this summer with travel. So I'm happy to be done with that. Um, my kids start going back to school next week, Monday, Tuesday, and then the 10th uh, grader will be in the next Monday. So I'm pretty excited to have all three kids in school mm-hmm. every single day. Uh, and kind of just, uh, grinding through the training leading up to Boston. Um, cool. Boston announced their elite field today, which we thought we'd kind of highlight we've got uh a bunch of fun american women um jordan hase des linden molly huddle actually committed to the race um we know Uh she's in a little bit of an injury cycle right now but hoping uh, i know we're big fans of her so hope to see her out there um and some notable men that we're going to get to see running abdi's gonna i guess make a quick turnaround from his 41st place finish in the Tokyo Olympics and we'll see Scott Fobble about it (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, we'll see Scott Fobble I'm sure he'll have a burrito after maybe before also Uh, Matt McDonald who was formerly here uh, with the Atlanta Track Club Elite now runs for the Boston Athletic Association and the other Scott now's elite Scott Smith Parker Stinson Tyler Pennell from Zap so pretty excited for you know a pretty stacked elite field for Boston Um, all these Runners had all the marathons to choose from this fall. And I guess these are the ones that chose Boston. So looking forward. It will be fun. You will be sharing the course with them. That's is that is that eight weeks from Monday? Is that am I counting that right? No, it's eight weeks and five days from today. So eight Monday was nine weeks. weeks. So yeah. all right, there you go. So well, this past Monday was nine weeks. I meant eight weeks from this coming Monday. Yeah, that's so, fair. No, You're correct. Very good. Very good. That's kind of uh, soon. How are you feeling? <laughs> Why are you asking me that on the podcast? <laughs> because everybody because, because the listeners know. of the podcast are invested in your boston pursuit here michelle um yeah i'm pretty tired i don't <laughs> i don't think it's just the running but uh i think on paper everything looks really good i mean i had a workout i despised last week and probably ran it the best i've run it at least in the five years that you've been coaching me uh but i guess there's more to paper i just kind of take a down week this week um i don't know i'm just exhausted (laughs) so good good week for a down week then yeah good week for a down week and and there's plenty of time you know it's funny i was telling somebody this the other day and i think i might have mentioned it to you too michelle that we tend to count how far out we are from running events in weeks and so eight weeks from monday that's the boston marathon and that makes it feel really close eight weeks is 56 days over the course of the 56 days you're going to do more than 45 workouts that's a lot of time to get things done and to to change your body and to to arrive in boston in a different place um so i know it feels close but there's plenty of time um and i think you're in a good place i would almost say that it's not a bad time to not feel great mm-hmm. yeah. yeah you're 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 eight weeks out you've got a lot of time to still build you shouldn't be feeling great yet and and since you're seeing progress and like you just mentioned that workout that you're not 
fond of that you probably talked about for two weeks. Um, <laughs> not that, not that, not that I was, you know, part of that conversation, but no, I'd say that that's an indicator that you're where you need to be. So I would agree with George on this one. There's a, there's a, another athlete that I coached that this morning um, I was riding bikes with her. We were doing a virtual group bike workout on trainer road. Um, and uh, I said, how are you feeling? And she is uh, six weeks out from an Ironman. Um, her Ironman is six weeks from this weekend. Um, and, and she goes, my legs are really tired. And I kind of said, yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's just kind of where, where you are six weeks out from an Ironman, uh, your, your legs are going to be kind of tired. Um, and, and that's what you just kind of have to grit your teeth and push through and, and get there. We're so far enough out with you where we can take one of these sort of down weeks here and, and get you a little bit less exhausted for the last big pusher. So I'm excited. Um, I'm looking forward to you running along with Scott Smith and Scott Fobble and Tyler Pinnell and, and all the rest of the folks that you just mentioned a minute ago and Des Linden headed back to Boston. Very cool. Eric, what you been up to? Uh, well, the last couple of weeks have been, I've been deep into uh, Blue Ridge relay preparations, um, figuring out shoes, figuring out legs. And, um, same, same. you know, like just today, just today, you know, if, if, if I got to run with one of the guys that we're going to run the Blue Ridge relay with, you know, cool. um, yeah, I mentioned I'm down in Myrtle Beach and one of our runners, Brett, he's down here in South Carolina. He's in Charleston. So I had to drive a little ways down and he came a little ways up, but, uh, we went and ran a little bit together today. And, you know, it's just one of those opportunities I can't pass up. I, yeah. I see Brett twice a year, maybe three times a year uh, without Peyton's 10 by 5K this year. We missed on that one. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. Really focusing on uh, kind of like you're doing, you're talking to Michelle, like, okay, how many weeks are left? When is the taper going to start? And then backing that up and figuring out what are the things I need to get in before before we do it. So lots of hills. I've been, I've been building a lot of hills in, which has been fun because we talk about Grace, my daughter a lot, and she's been doing some hill workouts with me. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that she's really ever done before. Um, in fact, hills used to be like a complete nightmare running with her. She hated anything that even looked like it was a, a mound, you know, <laughs> and now she, she looks at these mile long hills that we run and she's like, eh, that's just a, that's just a mound out there. You know, we're going to run over that. Um, and we've gotten to the point where now she wants to go do hill workouts with me. So, so that's pretty awesome. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Cool, man. Very good. I've been up to much of the same, actually. Um, mapping out the legs, thinking about what I'm going to run, where, which legs I want to try and run faster on, which ones I'm going to try and rest a little bit on thinking about my nutrition strategy, my hydration strategy. And of course, as you said, uh, what shoes I'm going to wear. Um, I owe both of you a lot of credit for where I am right now in my running. I am running more and more consistently than I have in seven years. Because of the Pumas? Because of two reasons. One of them is because of the Pumas. <laughs> one, of, one of them really is because I think because of the Puma Deviate Nitro. I mean, as, I much as, as, as much as we gushed about that shoe, I can gush about it a little bit more because I think that, that right now my shoe rotation is something that, that is, is keeping me healthy. Um, I run most of my runs indeed in the Puma and Deviate Nitro with its, uh, with its nylon plate and with its uh, very underbuilt heel, count, heel counter. Um, and then I do a little bit of running in the Skechers Speed Elites. I do a little bit of running now in the Endorphin Speeds. 
um, which I like, even though I don't think they have quite enough arch support for me, or at least they're shaped in a way that bothers my arches. And so I have to, to wear arch supports whenever I run in them. Um, and my Achilles hasn't felt this good in a long time. Um, and the most striking thing about it is that I can not only stack up multiple runs in a single day right now, but I can run four or five days in a row, which I haven't been able to run literally like two days in a row since 2018. Um, and so, so yeah, that is definitely a big part of the, the process. The other thing, the other major thing that I give a lot of credit for the fact that my Achilles is in a better place than it's been in a really long time is the percussive massager that I bought for Christmas, um, <laughs> which was, which That's was great. suggested by Eric. Yeah. Um, and so obviously, as you can imagine, I mean, your Achilles, it suffers from having things pulling at it. Um, and I think that I had so many trigger points and so much tightness and ugliness, um, on my posterior chain in general, and in my calf in particular, that it's taken months and months for a lot of those things to be broken down and worked out, um, by using the, the, uh, percussive massager pretty routinely and pretty regularly, but I think they have. Um, and so I think between the shoe rotation, which is primarily the deviate nitro and then a couple of things left often, um, and the percussive massager, like I said, I haven't run, I haven't been able to run this consistently and literally, I don't know how long. I don't, I don't think know. I've ever really known you to run this yeah. much. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know the last time I ran four days in a row. Um, and I mean, I've done the Blue Ridge Relay right? Which is seven times in 24 hours. But, um, but I haven't run four days in a row lined up runs like that. Um, since I don't know when, because and you've two, got a few weeks of this now. So yeah, I've, I've got like, I've had about three weeks of it. We have another four weeks until the Blue Ridge relay. And then I have Berlin two weeks after that. And so I'm feeling good. <laughs> um, it's a trick. And, and Michelle actually, and I appreciate this. Michelle sent me a text today to the effect of you need to chill out um and not get yourself injured because you're so excited because you can run <laughs> which um that's good i need somebody to keep me in check and i appreciate that um but the the and and i've definitely gotten injured from running too much you know way back in the day and even just this time we're well, not this time last year but in my last marathon build when i was running so much with morgan van gorda and Lori Knowles as they were getting ready for the uh marathon trials um i got injured leading up to that the difference here is i feel much more in control of it um, and I can change it based on where, how I'm feeling and what I'm needing on a particular day. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well. I'm excited. So how's the watch situation? Oh, the watch situation. So that's the only thing that's not so great. And, and honestly, I, uh, I, I wish it was better, but no, Michelle, I'm about to make is, it much better. So Michelle, as everyone knows, let me borrow her Koros uh, a couple of years ago. And by letting me borrow, I mean, she gave it to me and I changed the band and made it mine forever, uh, as I tend to do with things that people let me borrow. But unfortunately, something happened with the Koros like a month or so ago, and it basically just sort of went dead. Um, and so I submitted a report and all that sort of thing. And Michelle, did you get it replaced? And you have me a new Koros now? Yeah, just came today. <laughs> literally so i guess broke, i gotta go back to marietta so, so i broke your watch and koros replaced your watch so now you're going to give it back to me again <laughs> i mean to be fair we could probably talk about this in another podcast but Eric, don't say anything don't say anything. a massive <laughs> what is he gonna say 
We should let, let it Eric ride. explain this. And no, er, Eric is looking at us as if yeah, he's going to yeah. say, wait a second, George broke something. your watch and you're about to give him another one? Eric, shh. All right, no, 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 that's not that's what That's not I'm what he's going to say. He wants to. <laughs> what I'm going to say is, George, I told you, don't do this. I said, <laughs> don't, don't update your watch. <laughs> All the rest of the watches are breaking. And you said, I already did it. <laughs> yeah. No, he I'm held like, out. No, on the why update. did you do that? And then he ran it. And it's like, what did you expect would happen? Yeah. So Chorus here's Global the problem. has an so, issue. But here's the problem, Michelle. He he does something that he should have known better than to do. And you're gonna reward him with a new watch, a better watch. So let's let's just think about Eric. That. Just just let that simmer. Shut up. <laughs> Is this how you raise your children? Okay, so first of all, let's just keep the facts facts. He's not getting a better watch. He's getting the same exact watch. Koros upgraded my watch from an Apex okay. 46 to a Pro. George is getting another white Apex 42 that is new enough that it should be able to take the, you know, uh, software update that killed way too many Koros watches and they're having to unfortunately replace. But yeah, it came today. So George has been wearing some 20-year-old Garmin <laughs> actually, 920 <laughs> actually the, the it's not a 20 year old garment it's about a 10 year old garment it's a not it's a garmin 920 that was uh the the adam heiser let me borrow the head of itl let me borrow um and so, so I've been wearing that. I, I was wearing that until i replaced it with the uh the the koros that i borrowed from michelle <laughs> george george have you ever bought a running watch so, it's been a while <laughs> <laughs> We just anyway. we're just adding to the list the bike, <laughs> the towel, the the watch. I sent the towel the back. watch. Uh, yeah, that's the one thing you've sent back. The the least the least use well, probably the one of them. No, the least useful, least expensive item you sent back. Well done. I did. It took me seven or eight years, but yes, it did. I did. So you're welcome, Rich Arbor. <laughs> um uh I am looking forward to checking out the new Koros, Michelle, and I appreciate you and I appreciate you, Eric, for recommending the, uh, the, the percussive massager. So um, I appreciate both of you for keeping me outfitted and healthy with all the things that I need. <laughs> well, I can return that appreciation because I was, I was hesitant on the shoes, but I did also... Uh, did. procure a pair of Skechers Speed Elite Hypers with the carbon-infused winglets. Mm -hmm. um, and I got to tell you, that's, a, that's an awesome shoe. You like it. I, I, so I've been meaning, you only, you've oh, only had it for about a week. And so I've been meaning to ask you how you like it. You like it. I've had it. I think I've had it for two or three weeks. I can't really, but I've done two or three runs in them. And I, I really like that shoe. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, there's a little bit of like the new shoe. Oh, you know, oh, mm -hmm. this shoe is great, but that shoe is really unique. Mm -hmm. I've, I've, I have enjoyed running it. So this so, was yeah, one of those I'm, conversations I'm, that, is... that you guys had that I was like, I can't participate. And then by the time I got back to it, it was over, and you bought shoes. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's exactly how it worked. <laughs> No, it's Michelle's fault that I have those shoes because I, I posted, I think, three weeks ago about the phone chat about the phone. No, I said, here's my shoe lineup for Blue Ridge Relay, my my draft shoe lineup. And then George immediately posted after that. Here's my draft shoe lineup. And the very first thing that Michelle says after that is, 
Looks like George plans on running a lot faster than Eric. In the <laughs> that is so true, Eric. Your shoes were like... Think of the Boston as a daily trainer. <laughs> Eric was bringing slower shoes than me, and so you presume that he was probably planning on running slower. So he, so he, so he upped his shoe game and made them faster in order to be that much better prepared for the Blue Ridge Relay. I'm on board. Since I'm your teammate yeah, in the Blue Ridge Relay, I think that's You're a good welcome. thing. So. so I'm thanking George and Michelle for pushing me in that direction. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I think I told y'all earlier this week, if you would have told me 10 years ago that my shoe lineup uh, and my shoe rotation that I would be super happy with was going to be built around Pumas and Skechers, Skechers. <laughs> I would have been surprised to say the least uh for sure hey i've i've got a i've got three plated shoes mm -hmm. i've got yeah. the saucony i've got the on i'm still wearing the on the, i wore it yesterday booms. the boom and then i have the sketcher speed elite hyper yeah yeah so, i am i am now a plated shoe convert as well so the the only pair of shoes in my rotation that don't have plates in them are the, 1080s. the the new balance 1080s that i wear when i run on the trails because it seems kind of odd to wear a plated shoe on trails but maybe i should get those columbia shoes that we talked about or those north face shoes that we talked about a few north face ago. so yeah, yeah. the vectex or there the, we go. some of the v yeah yeah all right very good very good well let's talk about some olympics um let's talk about I don't know. There's it's the Olympics, right? It's such a massive event. <laughs> and there are so many good races that were part of the Olympics as well to say nothing of, of all the other sports too. So Michelle, how do you want to set it up? Do you want to talk about what we loved, what we didn't love so much, what we felt compelled by? What do you think? Yeah, I thought we would maybe each go around and just uh, talk about one of our, you know, uh, highlights of the Olympics, what it was for us. So I, mean, I know we both, a bunch of us, all of us really watched a bunch of new stuff for the first time. And I think mm -hmm. just generally, uh, appreciated the facts that, you know, that the Olympics actually happened and, yeah. uh, lost a lot of sleep along the way, but watched some pretty <laughs> cool stuff, uh, you know, skateboarding, rock climbing, different type of stuff, canoe sprint. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think maybe rather than, I think it'll just be too much if we talk about the best and the worst. So maybe just the best and we can kind of tag along from there. Sounds like a plan. Do you want to go first? I'll go first because you guys are probably going to talk about running, but um, <laughs> I mean, I've talked about gymnastics a lot. Mm -hmm. I've followed Michaela Skinner um, ever since she didn't make the 2012 Olympic trials. And then in 2016, she was an alternate for Rio and really spoke a lot as to how devastating it is to be an alternate for the United States women's gymnastics team and um, gave up going pro and decided to uh, have the NCAA experience at Utah, went there. Um, and then after her third year, she said she was going to go back to elite. So she left college um, to give it one more try because she wasn't done. And her road was almost impossible with, you know, the people coming up behind her. Um, and then COVID hit and then it was another year and she got married. She got COVID. <laughs> um, but she came back and the selection process is a whole controversy in and of itself, but she was selected to go in one of the individual spots. So she traveled uh, with the team. There's four women on the team, two individuals. She had one of the individual spots. And then as everybody knows, um, well, prior to Simone Biles, 
removing herself from the competition. She had a chance to qualify for individual event finals um, and she was expected to potentially win gold on the vault, assuming you know something had happened to Simone. Simone would obviously win gold. But when that came around, she was the third American in the spot for an individual final. So she lost her chance entirely to compete for any medal whatsoever because the team had a chance for team medals and then all around and then all four individual events on their own, but she didn't even have a chance for an individual event. And then at the last minute, um, she got to compete on vault because Simone decided not to, and she won a silver medal. And I just, I mean, she was about to get on a plane to go home and Simone's coach called her coach and asked them to change their plane ticket. And <laughs> her coach said they were literally watching, I think the men's gymnastics and they changed it on their phones sitting, uh, in the gym. So I just really can't think of a better comeback story. I mean, I think the road for a gymnast to get to the Olympics is virtually impossible. It's probably less than 1%. And I don't know, to go NCAA, to come back to elite, to see it all the way through, to have a disappointing Olympics, to have the chance to get a medal and then having the chance and getting the medal. I just, that is just fairy tale ending for, for me, for her career. So I could talk about that all day. <laughs> Very so, cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. I, my, my sons got really into the gymnastics. That's great. That was their favorite thing. Did they um, watch the guys? The guys so they watched awesome. the guys and, and, and the girls. Yeah. Um, and they, they can't decide if you ask them which one they like better. Uh, they can't decide whether they like the guys or the girls better um, because they like that the guys have the pobble horse and they sure. like that the girls have the uneven bars. That's great. Um, and yeah. those are their two favorite events. And so they can't decide which one they like watching more. Um, yeah. But they, they, it was what you imagine a seven-year-old child watching gymnastics for the first time. It's like what you want it to be. Yeah. Um, and, but, but like if, and, and if you think about what a gymnast dreams about inspiring like the next generation, like my sons would sit there and they'd watch it. And then they go like, we were at, we were at the beach during a lot of the gymnastics stuff. Then they go out on the sand and they tumble around and jump around and stuff like that. And then when we've gone to the pool since then, they've been like jumping into the pool and flipping all around in the pool <laughs> and, 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 and calling themselves Olympic gymnasts. Um, and, and, you know, we'll sit at the dinner table and they'll say, if you could go to the Olympics, what event would you want to do talking to me? And I'd say, well, I want to be a runner. Um, and they, <laughs> they, they, they say, I would want to be a gymnast. <laughs> um, and so we, we are, uh, literally at this point starting to look for kids gymnastics programs. Um, you know, it's hard in the, in the age of COVID to try and find ones that, that, that are safe and open. Um, but, uh, that's how inspired they were by watching the gymnastics Olympics. And that's just, yeah. That's I enjoy great. watching the men just as much as the women. I just, it's like a fairy tale ending for an athlete that I've followed for years. So I Very was, cool. uh, it was just like, just, I don't know. It was amazing. Very cool. <laughs> so. Very cool. Very cool. Eric, what was your favorite moments or what were some of your favorite moments or favorite? Well, races? I'll just give you my favorite, or favorite events, my, my favorite moment, my favorite race. Um, it was uh, Molly's finish in the, the marathon. Yeah, And at that moment, I think I, I actually get kind of choked up when I see runners show so much joy, yeah. even through their exhaustion. And, you know, there, there's, there's celebratory, like the, you know, like when the, I don't know, like guys like guttural yell and, rah, you know, that's just kind of like, 
some of the, sometimes that comes across as like a lot of bravado and whatnot. But you, when she crossed the finish line, you could just tell that this long journey that had gotten her there, and it, it welled up in joy. You know, it, I don't think there was a whole lot of bravado in that at all. Yeah. And so I really love to see athletes, you know, succeed in that way. And, you know, I don't know what's going on in her head when she's running the race. And I see the moves and the, you know, all of that, you know, through the the TV screen. But uh, Michelle, you were kind enough to send us that interview uh, that I run far did with Molly after the race. I think it was like the day after the race. Yeah, it's great. And it was great because it was so fresh in her mind. And I run far did a really good job of, you know, asking questions and Molly was really open about everything. Um, and it was cool because she talked about, you know, you piece together the journey and all that, all the training injuries, you know, minor injuries, you know, getting and, and ups and downs. But then, you know, the day before the race, uh, she's talking to her coach and Jonathan green, John green. Right? Yeah. Yeah. John green. 25 year old guy. <laughs> yeah. He basically, tells her you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow right right you know you don't know how it's going to go you can't sort of plan it out and she actually says in the article I don't really think I ever go into a race with a plan you know like I kind of react and that's like that's like a strength of hers and you you just watch that journey and the race itself and she talks about you know just kind of like knowing she was good enough and wanting to be at the front and wanting to make moves and being strong enough to do that. And we always talk about the mental aspect of running and definitely in the marathon, there's a lot of that in play. And I just feel like she ran the best race she possibly could. I think that uh, she reacted to everything the way you're supposed to react to stuff in a, in a race like that. And she talks about the other runners just falling out. You know, you watch it, you know, they just start getting stripped away from the pack and she's there and she's really competing. She's not hanging on, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't until I think the last couple miles. I mean, we literally, we saw her drop back to fourth, went to a commercial break, came back and Lorna was out of the race. I mean, it was literally like the whole race changed in one commercial break. Yeah. Right. So which, and by so the way, by the happens. way, NBC, if you're listening, your commercial break choices are terrible. terrible. Who, who, whoever was choosing when to take commercial breaks was clearly high. They, they, they took a commercial <laughs> break with a mile to go in the women's marathon. Literally, I'm not even making that up. It was like 25.2 miles commercial break. It was pretty awesome. screen. They did Split it. They screen. did it on the replay. The next day they played it again immediately prior to the men's marathon. And they kept the commercial breaks in the same place. Yeah. And I was like, you're going to take a commercial break with a mile to go again. They like, are. You had, you had 24 <laughs> hours to put them in different places and you're doing it. I was, it was crazy to me. But, so to tie that all together, the moment was that joy that she showed at the finish. And then to hear her tell the story of how she got to the race and then the race itself. And you're just like, yeah, of course, this was supposed to happen. She had to do it, but this was supposed to happen. And this hasn't happened for the United States since 2004. Four. Yeah. Is that right? Dina yeah. Castor, 2004. Right. And only one time um, before that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, that yeah, was, and, the, and the one time before that was 1984. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I'm just like hats off to her, her coach, you know, everyone who supported her and just damn good race. Yeah. 
It was fun. And to this watch. is coming from someone who's never actually run a marathon. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it was fun to watch. You know, it's funny. So, so I was watching it, and and I was texting back with back and forth with Michelle, knowing that she was watching it too. Um, and uh, at one point, she writes, "Molly looks a little rough," and and I wrote back, "Down to four in all caps." And she writes back, "Yes, this is true. It just feels like these women will drop her so hard," is what Michelle wrote. And I went, nope, she's in it. Dare to dream, Michelle. <laughs> well, I get a little bit glasses, not half full sometimes. So I get nervous. You get nervous. Yeah, no, and, and that's fair. It's not like I don't think she can do it. It's just that I know how Lorna runs and the yeah. other two women are, cre- their, their PRs are like seven minutes faster than her. And it just felt like if it came down to it, they would, if, they, if those women had what was, what they needed for the last five to 10K, I just didn't think she stood a chance, but the reality is, is that, I mean, we've never, we say it all the time, heat and humidity, humidity is like the ultimate equalizer. And we literally like nothing could be more true after watching that race. For sure. So for sure. yeah, I stopped believing for like 30 seconds. Thanks That's George right. for telling Good everybody. You were texting with me at the time. I brought you back from the brink of disbelief there. Um, you respond to that, by the way, I'm just scared or something like that, which I get it. I mean, because as you're watching it, as they're getting closer and closer to the finish, you're like investing more oh, yeah. and more into it. And it's like hope you become more and more hopeful and more and more hopeful. Um, and then she drops into fourth. You're like, oh, and then they take commercial break and they come back. And Lorna Salpeter has, has, Effect, effectively dropped out of the race uh yeah that's shocking from she's such a strong runner i mean yeah 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 her pr is what like two well well under 220 um yeah um but yeah so the the women's race won by by uh perez jep and second place was uh bridget cosguy who we said in our preview we were like is anybody gonna beat bridget cosguy no uh, well, we one person did. <laughs> right. Uh, so her teammate did. So, so don't her, listen to our preview. If you so, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But, um, but super impressed with Molly Seidel and really, really appreciated that. Uh, it took her about 24 hours to give the activity on Strava a name. Um, and when she did, it was called Full Send in Sapporo, which I thought was a cool name. Amazing. Uh, I immediately yeah. gave it kudos. And it ultimately became the most kudoed event ever done by a woman in Strava history, which I think is a fun fact. Um, another kind of fun thing about her race is while we're talking about Molly Seidel, um, is that like two days before, and Michelle, you probably saw this because I know you follow Instagram pretty closely, but like two days before the race, she put something on Instagram that was uh, a Google search that she was doing on how much water to drink during a marathon. That was the night before the race. She the was night before the, the race. Even she was better. looking at the Runner's World article on how to properly <laughs> hydrate during like. Exactly. Okay. And, and, and she writes something to the effect of, I know I'm a professional runner and everything, but here's what I'm doing the night before a race. <laughs> I mean, I think part of what she had nothing to lose getting there was a dream come true for her. She waited a year and a half for that moment. She knew the training was rock solid. Um, and I don't know, I, she just pieced it all together. She's mentally so tough and she knew the fitness was there and she, I mean, she got that gold, she was wearing that bronze medal. Puma, she gave Puma Nitro elites. She was ready to roll. Yeah. She <laughs> wore the, yeah, just that is true. The deviate nitro elite. She wrote the, but, the, uh, the elites. Yes. Which, which I immediately went onto the Puma website and I was like, okay, I'm getting a pair of those now. And, but uh, you can't buy them because they they're not available. They sold them. out like 
they must have only had like a hundred pair when they first released them. But okay. I don't know. I think she she the biggest the best thing she did for herself was she put her she just put herself in it and she gave herself a chance. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if she actually believed that she could do it, but she raced and she participated in that race like she knew she could until she realized she was. I agree. So. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think another that's... fun fact of this is mm-hmm. ask how many professional race marathons has molly said album three now so this is only her third marathon yeah yeah her <laughs> first one was the olympic trials did she do the marathon yeah. project last year is that what number two was michelle no she went to london okay right yeah so so yeah her third marathon is is this one so first one was a trial second one was london where she pr'd 225 um, yeah that's right and then her third one was of course the olympic games so very good what's your last comment on her eric I just had to take issue with one comment she made um, in the Iron <laughs> Far article. She said she made a comment about um, running at, at altitude is like running in humidity. Hmm. And she said, you, you run in humidity enough and, and you get used to it. Mm-hmm. That's not true. <laughs> That's, that is absolutely not true. That is, I, I refuse to accept that falsehood. That, that is not true. Uh, I have been running in the Southeast my entire life and it is no easier now. I am no more prepared for it now, (laughs) even at the end of the summer than, than I was the first time I did it. Yeah. I'm inclined to agree. I'm inclined to agree, but I'm not inclined to uh, disagree with Molly Seidel right now because, uh, because she's She's holding an Olympic medal. She is indeed. Uh, They kept talking about her being from Wisconsin, which was great. And then they showed her at the finish line, like her, her little listening party. Right in in uh in wisconsin uh and they're all cheering and going nuts and everything and that was such a cool moment because there's not a crowd there right um i remember when perez dipped crossed the finish line like she basically kind of runs up to the journals and she's clearly like looking for somebody to hug and celebrate and there's, there's nothing there. yeah all right let's talk about my favorite uh moment i have several i mean the the races were just so good generally you know so- um <laughs> I mean, I just, I feel like all the, with the exception of the men's 800, like I thought that every race was an aggressive, strong, fast race. Normally you end up seeing championship races being these tactical affairs and they're super exciting, but they're only really exciting in in the last 400. Whereas the men's and women's 1500, the 10,000s, the 5,000s, like every race, they were super aggressive and going after it. Um, And I was so impressed by that throughout the course of the entire thing. So if I think about what my favorite race might've been, it's hard to say, um, but I think it was probably the men's 5,000. If not the men's 5,000, maybe the men's 1500, but I can't quite decide. we're going to talk about both of them. Which one should we talk about first, Michelle? The men's 1500 or the men's 5000? I think if we want to stay on a positive note, we start with the 5000. <laughs> well, see, I thought the 1500 was positive as well, but I know what you're getting at there. So, so yeah, let's talk about the men's 5000. So the men's 5000 was a fantastic race. Um, and uh, it was won by the world record holder, Joshua Cheptegei. Um, Joshua Cheptegei last year set the world record in the 5,000 meters, set the world record in the 10,000 meters, ended up getting the silver medal in the 10,000 meters near the beginning of the Olympics, or at least near the beginning of the track portion of the Olympics. Um, and he was just sort of lacking from his resume an Olympic gold medal. Um, and it was cool to see him win. And he was fired up about winning. Um, 
uh, I think there is a degree of Barato that like, like Eric was talking about, but um, all three of the medalists in the men's 5,000, I felt like were, were excited about the places that they finished. Second place was Mo Ahmed, um, who trains with the Bowerman group uh, from Canada. Um, I think he's a great runner. I'm a fan and I was really happy to see him finish uh, second. Uh, third fan. place was an American, Paul Chalimo. Um who he dove we, for that third place he literally dove <laughs> yes, for that third place. <laughs> yeah yeah and we and we have we have differing opinions on paul chalimo and on the That's podcast okay. um and that is okay but but i was happy to see him do well i was happy to see him finish third um and michelle what did you say about him because i really appreciate what you said about him i think you're right i mean i was trying to explain to you why i like him <laughs> mm-hmm. but i don't remember you said you said that he always shows. I mean, up. I think he always. I think he kind of just keeps his head down. He does the work, and he shows up to race, and he just seems to just get it done when it matters. Mm-hmm. And I would say, much like you know, we saw it a few times. I mean, we saw it with Raven Rogers in the eight hundred, but it's like it is not over in a track race until you run through that damn line. Mm-hmm. And he or dove Paul. through it. But mm-hmm. like when you see that, when you when that is, you know, they could like if he had just one fourth of one stride less, he would not have an Olympic medal right now. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm here for like the guts and glory of it. And I feel like he always comes through. That's how he makes teams. Now he's got an Olympic medal in the 5k because of that. So mm-hmm. I yeah. like it. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, and I, and I think that's an excellent point. Uh, and I think that that is the best thing about Paul Chalimo. And, and I think that's a great compliment. Um, and I think you're right. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you that at all. The reason why I have mixed feelings about him sometimes is because it always seems like he's getting hung up in the race of like stepping on people and people stepping on him and stuff like that. And I feel like it can't be a coincidence since that literally happens with him in every race. I feel like there's something about runner. him that, that attracts yeah. that. And I don't I know mean, what it is. A little bit like Safan Hassan. He's just, he's not like, <laughs> a, it's not pretty to watch him run. He's sort of a little bit all over the, and I think, I don't know. I would, I would surmise that that's sometimes why he ends up getting tangled, but I don't know. I mean, these track races are people got spiked in every single race. It felt like people were walking Mm -hmm. up those stairs with blood on their legs. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for sure. Men's 1500. Um, I, I enjoyed the results of the men's 1500. The men in the 1500 did not run strategically. Um, uh, they literally pushed it from the opening 150. Jacob Ingbertson from Norway himself actually went up to the front of the 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 race in the the men's 1500 um, and led through the first lap essentially. Um, the reigning world champion Ken Chariot uh, or Timothy Chariot ended up taking over after that um, and uh, and kept the pace really high. Jacob Ingbertson ended up coming back age 20. Um, and he was fantastic. taking the, the Olympic gold medal. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Amazing. Um, they had already beaten the Olympic record in, in the semifinals. The semifinals. Um, yeah. They had all run 331 in the semifinals. Jacob Emerson goes out and wins the final in 328, um, which is a stunningly fast time for a global championship race. Um, now, the reason, of course, why you said that you felt like it was maybe not so happy is because... I mean, I think I said in the preview that I was hoping uh, Matthew Centritz would kind of come back and get fitness from trials um, and kind of show us what, you know, we saw in 2016 when he won a gold medal. I think I also gave a caveat that 
the other side of that was I felt like he was just going to blow up and not be in it at all. I really hope I said that, by the way. I don't remember. I feel like I said that. <laughs> I want, I meant to say that on the preview. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah, I mean, Centrowitz ran in the first semifinal. Like we just said, they ran an Olympic record in the semifinal. Uh, he ran a faster time than some of the guys in the second semifinal. That so went it was, to the, it was the other way around. He, w- he was in the second semifinal, and the guys in the first semifinal ran fast, and the guys in the second semifinal oh, yeah, ran yeah. even faster. Sorry. Right. Yeah. So even though he ran a faster time, he just, he was flat in his race. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you kept waiting for the way that he races and the way that he positions himself. I mean, I don't, I didn't even know what I was watching, but I think only up until the last 200, 150 meters, um, I thought he was in it. I thought he was just chill and racing and running a little bit on the outside of lane one, which I also don't understand why he did that. But, um, and then everybody just sort of went and he just did nothing. Like he yeah. was just left in the dust, seventh place in the semi, doesn't even advance to the final. So I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting he, to hear more from him. He, <laughs> he was running in lane two at three at times. I mean, yeah, yeah, he, I, mentioned he, he didn't even know how he got out there into lane three, which, <laughs> which, and I know we mentioned this before, and I know I said this in a preview, he is a master technician on the track. I right. mean, he is, he wins races because he is in position around, right. you know, that second to last and last turn. And he was, he was not, he was just not the person that I feel like we've been watching run the 1500 for the last several years. Um, I, I, I agree. I totally agree. So him and Clayton Murphy. So Clayton Murphy was a was an 800 meter runner from the United States. So um, disappointing. Yeah. And and Clayton Murphy was a world championships medalist and and was one of the favorites for for the Olympic gold medal um, in the 800 meters. Um, the 800 meters, strangely enough, was tactical. The 800 meters is usually not tactical. Usually the 800 meters, you have at least one person at every level, like the junior high, high school, college, professional Olympics, every level, there's at least one guy who says the way that I can win this race is by running from the front and leading wire to wire. There's always that guy in the 800. Um, And for whatever reason, in the 2020 Tokyo Olympic 800 meter men's final, there was not that guy. Um, And they ended up running fairly slowly through the first lap and actually negative split the 800, which is a really rare thing. And Clayton Murphy effectively looked like he didn't know what to do in a race like that. Yeah. It looked like he was almost sort of lost, that he didn't know how to run a negative split 800 race because they're so rare. Um, And in Centrowitz, it kind of looked the same. Yeah. Um, It was like he didn't know how to run a semifinal that was being run at faster than the Olympic record. Um, and, and he almost kind of looked lost, you know, it's like, whoa, this is not really what I signed up for. Um, and, and it was, it was odd. Um, You know, I mean, I have to wonder just across the board, like we just really, we didn't see anything that impressive from Bowerman track club. And I, and I just wonder if this extended period of time that they spent at altitude and they trained through the trials, but they still had to run really fast at trials to make the team they only really spent like 10 days in a heat and humidity camp before Tokyo. And I'm just wondering if maybe that just, that wasn't the right move um, just because of the way that the weather was in Tokyo, like maybe altitude, you know, wasn't, I don't know. seems like the people that spent more time in the actual heat and humidity, even if they were in Flagstaff, if they were going down, you know, to do their workouts where it was really hot uh, seemed to fare better, but I don't know. Notable exception to that. Okay. So, so, a few one, exceptions, really. W- but <laughs> one, one particularly Mohammed. notable exception to that is Grant Fisher in the men's 10,000 meters. That's true. Grant ran uh, amazing. He, he finished, we finished fifth. Yeah. 
Yeah, which was brilliant. Um, and yeah, and I didn't far, think we'd far, see far it in than he would. And and he yeah. ran like he belonged there and and was great. Um, if anything, he actually sort of got hung up behind Mo Ahmed, who finished sixth. Um, and rather than rolling on by him, he ended up finishing. Uh, he kind of hung back behind him. If he would have pushed on past Mo Ahmed, assuming that he could have, he might have even finished fourth. Uh, yeah, I think he was probably miles. pretty surprised to be that close to Mo for that yeah. long. <laughs> yeah. Mo, and then, of course, uh, but... and then the other exception I would say too, Mo Ahmed himself. Uh, sure. Mo Ahmed, is he still training with the Bowerman Chai Club? I mean, he was. I, I honestly, I mean, I think we've just begun to see a trickle of a fallout from them. So it'll be interesting okay. to see where all these guys land. But as of, yes, he was there with Bowerman Track Club. He qualified under their coaching. He, they posted about him, you know, after okay. uh, his medal and everything. So um, gotcha. Gotcha. we'll see what happens. And I think we're going to see these guys, you know, turn right back around at pre um, mm -hmm. in some of the Diamond League. So their seasons aren't over. I mean, they've got to, they're going to keep going. <laughs> so um, we'll see how it goes. Who does, who does Courtney Frerichs run for? Also Bowerman. Okay. And she was great. She was fantastic. That was another one of my favorite moments. You like, I'm sneaking all my little favorite moments in here. Like we were supposed to be taking turns and I've said like six things. Yeah. Now. So <laughs> the precursor to this is us, you know, agreeing on how we're going to do this podcast tonight on a text. And then George is just like, we should talk about, we need to talk about this and this and this and this nine races later. And Eric and I are like, I thought we said we're going to talk about our favorite thing. And George is like, yeah, but there's like nine races we need to talk about. That's <laughs> what I'm saying, though. Like every race was a good so race. I think you your usually see thing, a couple of good races and like every race was a good race. I right, mean, but, and, I, and that I, is your favorite yeah. thing. Like these, this that, was an awesome Olympics to be a there fan you of go. athletics. Good so. call, Michelle. <laughs> Thank you for that. The, my, my favorite yeah. thing was that there were so many good races. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Courtney Frerichs going out in the, in the steeplechase and with, with 1200 meters to go with more than a kilometer left, she pushes to the front and drops the field. Um, yeah. I was and, one of the people, one of the many people who was wondering, did she miscount the laps? Me too. Um, because she always talks <laughs> no, I, about, I, I, I really was, I, I was like, Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. Um, On one side, she always talks about, she just kind of follows Emma. Like even though she has the American record from Emma, Emma Carver. um, most of her career has been, if I can stay on Emma, I'm going to make a team or I'm going to medal her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's has spoken a lot recently about a lot of work that she's been doing um, with a therapist on the mental game. Mm -hmm. And she just, she did it. Like she did what, like in the same way that she trained physically for the race, she trained her mind and she just, she literally just made a mental shift that she doesn't need to be behind in these races and get the second or third place like she can also go up there and try to win it and did she ever if she had sat behind Coburn though she wouldn't have gotten second or third in the race no, not at all it would have well, been that was, disastrous yeah, yeah. Well, also particularly because Coburn ended up falling down and ultimately DNFing right um or be, get, yeah, getting, getting said, DQ'd which is yeah bizarre. Emma said that yeah. her body completely shut down she'd never experienced anything like it um I thought maybe that she kind of psyched herself out since she had taken that horrible fall in Monaco, but she had a really great prelim. I was talking about this with somebody else. Like she looked amazing in the prelim. So it's not like she had that horrible fall in the diamond league and then had to go to the Olympic final without, you know, she had that, she had the, the round one to run, but yeah, that was, that was pretty sad for her. I mean, I think that's something for Emma that that's going to burn for a long time. Um, 
but they are, Emma's definitely running it pre. She's on the list. I can't remember if Courtney is. Um, I think she is. So I think if we're going to see the American record fall or either of these women run under nine minutes, it's going to happen in a few weeks here. So. So the whole time we were talking, I was like, there's a race I forgot about, a race I forgot about, a race I forgot about. It's like, what was it? And I was thinking back and I was like, oh, the women's steeplechase. I think I actually watched that race 10 times hmm. and, and it was just such a, uh, the steeplechase itself is just such a cool event. I mean, mm-hmm. that when you, when you think about like just, just grueling, cool uh, events, I think the steeplechase on the track is probably my favorite event. I've never done it, but still one of my favorite events to watch. And I think the way that played out, was so cool you know you guys mentioned you know oh she miscounted the laps <laughs> mm-hmm. i was i was worried blows off the yeah she blows off the front and you're just like how long is she going to be able to hang on mm-hmm. and um i just that's the kind of race that i want to run you know mm-hmm. when, when you're thinking like i want to be in control of the race even if i don't win it you know i did everything i could i threw it i threw down and so I, I did. I literally watched that race at least 10 times. It was an inspiring race. So yeah. Very cool. Kind of makes me want to go back and watch it a couple more times. So I appreciate that, Eric. Very good. There Very you go. good. Speaking and of jumping can. over stuff, speaking of fast races and jumping over things, those 400-meter hurdle races were both of them, the men's and the women's, which we did talk about in our preview, and we talked about how they're going to be great. They lived up to the hype. <laughs> all, the, all the hype. So, so Rye Benjamin and Carson Warholm both running under the world record in the men's 400 meter hurdles, and Warholm winning by an inch, a millisecond. <laughs> yeah, um, just the smallest possible that he could have won. I will tell you, nothing has ever spoken more to me about how we need to celebrate every Olympic medal than hearing Rye Benjamin's post-race interview and watching him, watching the tears fall out of his eyes because he felt like he disappointed his family, his country, his coaches, his friends, because he quote, only got silver. Yeah. Like I want to be part of this massive movement that just changes the way that we look at second and third place. Like you're coming home with an Olympic medal. Like, okay, it's not gold. It's still amazing. Mm -hmm. Like it just feels like, I don't know. I there, felt horrible for Benjamin. There was a study that came out several years ago um, of medalists, of Olympic medalists, and, and they asked them about their the satisfaction with their performance. And the highest people that rated the highest satisfaction uh, with their performance um, were obviously the gold medalists. Um, and then second place was, or was third place. So the bronze medalists had the second highest levels sure. of satisfaction. Sure. Um, silver medalists had by far the lowest levels of satisfaction and they were kind of on par with the fourth place finishers uh, feelings about that. Um, I believe and, that. And so what that suggests among many other things is that people who win silver think of themselves not as winning silver, but as just missing gold in the same yeah, way that somebody, in the same way that somebody who finishes fourth and doesn't get a medal thinks of themselves as just missing a medal. Um, yeah. And that's, that's understandable, but, but I agree with you that, that yeah. Rye Benjamin's interview afterwards was, was kind of heartbreaking. Hard watch. Um, it was. And, and it, it, he, he felt as if he ran the very best that he possibly could and did everything he could. And he did. 
Um, and, I was going to say he did. Yeah, and Carson Warholm that, afterwards. That should be the mark, though. Yeah, that should. should be the mark. I laid everything out yeah. that I could on that day in that race. That's not even a PR necessarily. Yeah, but it was a, it was it was three tenths of a second under the world record, which was only two weeks old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. Um, and and Carson Warholm, in order to win the race, he actually said afterwards, which I thought was great. He said, "I always say there's no such thing as a perfect race." but I might've just run a perfect race. Um, I mean, to be fair, he pretty much ran a perfect race. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know that we're going to see, I mean, I don't know. It was super spikes and all that, but that was, uh, he deserves all the credit for an amazing race. And then you had the women, both of whom also ran under the old world record that was only set about a month ago. <laughs> I would say though, Delilah Muhammad was a much, uh, she was very pleased with her silver medal. I mean, yeah. she's 31. Oh, She's still getting faster. She broke the world record. Uh, Sydney McLaughlin was just too good on that day, um, but it was a different a different feeling for a silver medal uh, from Delilah than it was uh, from Rye Benjamin. Totally, so, I totally but agree. Just watching those women, I mean, they're just they're amazing. They're just yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, and and you know, I had said how much I was looking forward to watching that race um, during the preview, um, and it didn't disappoint. Um, they are beautiful, brilliant, fantastic runners um, who performed at a level that was just so far beyond even just next level. Do you know what I mean? Um, it was incredible. My my favorite actually part of the entire 400 meter saga, 400 meter hurdle saga, is to say that third place was a woman from uh, the Netherlands named Fimke Bol. Um Femke Bowl ran 52.03. No woman had ever run under 52 seconds until both Dalila Muhammad and Sidney McLaughlin did it at the Olympic trials a month ago. Pretty crazy. And Femke Bowl goes out and runs 52.03 and finishes third. And finished third by a lot. Um, because Sidney McLaughlin and Dalila Muhammad were a full half a second, half second in front of her, which is, you know, several meters on down the track. Um, it was just incredible. And then to top it off, they take those two women, Dalila Muhammad and Sidney McLaughlin, add them to Allison Felix, who won a bronze in the 400 meters and now is the most highly decorated women's track and field Olympian in history. And a thing Mo who made an incredibly impressive run to win the gold medal in the 800 meters. And they had them run the four by four for the United States. <laughs> and that was also spectacular. <laughs> it was probably my favorite comment by any commentator over the course of the entire Olympics is when they were introducing all the four by four teams and they're all coming out and being goofy, which was super fun too, by the way. Um, and, and the, the United States women came out and the, the um, commentator said something to the, the effect of, are, are, is this strong of a team really necessary or are the United States just trying to flex? <laughs> that is such um, a comment that um, you would enjoy. <laughs> oh, I thought it was great. And Sydney McLaughlin took her hair down for the four by four and she was the lead off. And so she normally pulls her hair back in a braid and, and she took her hair down. And, and so she's running and she's just blowing everybody away. And 400 meter hurdlers are always the most exciting to watch in the four by four because they actually are stronger in the last hundred than the flat 400 meter runners because they've just been able to run this whole race without having to jump over stuff. Um, and so, so her hair is down and it's out and it's like a lion running down the track. It was just oh, inspiring. 
inspiring. So those are my favorite moments. <laughs> those. I mean, George, you didn't even talk about the women's 800. I know. Well, I, I tossed in there in the end that a thing Mo did. Uh, uh, did win the gold in the women's 800, which was brilliant, and which was also, strangely enough, a negative split. Um, and and she, I, I, I don't like the phrase making it look easy because it's not easy even for people who make it look easy. Um, but she, she had a strong dominant victory and she's 19 years old uh and just finished her freshman year at texas a&m um, i think everybody should go back and rewatch that because yeah. raven rogers who also brought home a medal from that race for the united mm-hmm. states was in dead fucking last <laughs> around <laughs> basically the last turn and she came and literally i've never seen a last 150 meters like that i mean there she had no chance she wasn't even in the picture mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she just she didn't dive she was there. as hard as Chilimo did, but she leaned and she got a medal. Mm-hmm. It's just Very awesome. Cool. I, I just, I don't know. Yeah, Very there was cool. a lot of really good racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we haven't even mentioned the men's marathon. The men's marathon was, it's funny because, so my birthday, as I said on the preview, uh, was August 7th. Um, and that's when the men's marathon was broadcast here in the United States. It was early in the morning on August 8th in Japan. And so it was in the evening of August 7th. And I told my wife, all I really wanted for my birthday was to be able to watch the Olympic men's marathon. And so we went to my in-laws house and we turned on USA and I watched the men's marathon. And speaking of dominant performances, um, uh, Elliot Kipchoge, again, I don't like that phrase made it look easy, but he demonstrated why he was the greatest of all time. He looked yeah. like the greatest of all time. Um, that he, was fun uh, to watch. he, he was near the front or on the front for the entire race. And then just right there around 25 K just said, I think about done running with y'all, um, and just ran away. Um, and it was funny right around 24 K my, my father-in-law who was watching it with me said, okay, so when are one of them going to make a move? <laughs> like, and I said, well, you know, if, if people just kind of keep falling off the pack like this, nobody will need to make a move. I said, but, but 30K is sort of the industry standard for making a move in, in a marathon. Um, and no sooner had I said that than, than Elliot Kipchoge goes to the front and starts turning the screws and then uh, runs, drops a 14, 5K and just gets everybody else out of the screen. He ultimately won by 80 seconds, which is the largest margin in an Olympic marathon uh, from first to second uh, in, in uh, more than 30 years, uh, since 1972, since Frank Shorter won in 1972. Um, and, and he was incredible. Um, now, I so, should mention, so George, in our preview, we did say nobody's going to beat Bridget Cosguy, but we weren't sure about Elliot Kipchoge. Somebody beat Bridget Cosguy. And Nobody Elliot, beat Elliot. Co- Co- Elliot Kipchoge left nothing to doubt. <laughs> I will say the best. I, I seem part- to remember. I seem <laughs> to remember someone saying, "Well, he struggled here, and it didn't work out so well." And I said, "You don't want to leave your best race out before the the big one." You're right. Yeah. And you guys kind of dogged me on that a little bit. <laughs> well, but he really didn't look so good. And he I was did like, look well, good, guys. He and finished. Oh, but I think George- we said. If anybody, I think we said that his loss in London was unexpected, but if anybody can rebound, we would that's, expect to that's see totally him do it. That's totally what we said. That's totally what we said. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and listen to that. But anyway, I definitely so, said that. So, George, to, to put this into context, because not everybody listens to the podcast with the experience of running 
that that we have and what these times actually mean. Mm-hmm. How many times have you run a 1435k, George? Twice. Oh gosh. I've run I've run 1434 twice. So my, my PR is 1434.1. And I've done it twice. And we all know George. George and that, and, that, and that was when I was 21 years old. So it was not on the track recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on the track. That, that was that was 20 years old on the track, 1434, mm-hmm. not 1428. No. And he ran it in the midst of a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. That Incredible. is dominant. Yeah. That is flat out dominant. Yeah. Yeah. And mind you, that's his actual world record pace. So so when he ran 201, when he ran 201. He, every one of them was a 1428. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, he is, he is clearly the greatest of all time. And there wasn't any question about that beforehand. The only question now is he looks so good doing this. Is he going to do it again in three years? Is he going to win again in Paris? Cause I, I think actually think the question for him, the question for Kipchoge is really, is he going to actually try to win every world marathon major? I think that's what people wonder now, because that is, what he has continually said that he wants. And he even said after the Olympics that that's still on his mind. Sure. I, I, I think, cause when we've talked about this before, he is, he is super historically, like he's into history. Sure. Like, and he wants to do historic type things. Yep. Right. Um, and, and so I think the idea of winning this all six world marathon majors appeals. I think that, that, the idea of being the only three-time winner of the Olympic marathon has got to be massively appealing to him. I mean, it'd be massively appealing to anybody, but but for somebody like him who who likes being the world record holder and the first person to run under two hours and only the third person ever to repeat as marathon Olympic champion, I think that that's that's got to be near the front of his mind as what he wants to do next. If he can stay healthy, he's 36 years old and he's talk about being at the top of your game and always showing up. Um, you know, he won an Olympic medal in 2004. Um, and now he's won an Olympic medal in 2021. Pretty incredible. He's really fun to watch. As soon as he starts pumping his fists and smiling, it's just like, yeah. this is good stuff. <laughs> For sure. For sure. I would, I would, if, if he did end up running in New York or, or Boston or Chicago, if I didn't run in the race, I would make a point to actually go watch. I would go be a spectator to watch. Um, because I think he would, it feels historic. It feels like somebody he would, you would like to witness him running. Um, sure. I'm, I've only ever seen him on TV. Um, maybe we can get him to run the PC I, road I, race. I don't think, I don't think <laughs> I would want to watch that. I don't think I would want to watch Maybe we can get him to run Peyton's wild so 10 by 5K. <laughs> maybe we can get him on our Blue Ridge Relay team. <laughs> yeah. How old is he? So he's 36. Oh yeah, you're right. It's not quite no, a, he's master. not a master. So four, four years, he, we, master. We, we, he can come on our master's ultra team. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Final thoughts on the Olympics and everything else, Eric. I enjoyed it. Like you said, there were so many good races. It was hard to, it was hard to pick a favorite. I think Molly's finishing the marathon. Definitely my favorite. And the women's steeplechase close second. Very cool. Very cool. Michelle, nice words. I'm really happy to get some sleep. <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time waking up, uh, even days that I didn't want to wake up and it was just like, Oh, the Olympics is on. Oh, it's skateboarding. Oh, it's equestrian. So I'm tired. And I think that's kind of compounded my exhaustion. Um, For so sure. 
I'm so happy that the Olympics happened. It feels like Tokyo did everything they could to, mm-hmm. you know, make it uh, everything that the Olympics is for the athletes that qualified. It doesn't seem like there was a horrible fallout from COVID. I guess we don't know maybe the full uh, details of that for another week or two, but um, yeah, I mean, I think it just gave everybody something to focus on and be happy about and cheer for and talk about for two weeks. And it was a good two weeks. So and Paris isn't that far and we've got a winter Olympics next year. So it's pretty exciting. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I agree. And in Paris, you know, they have talked about doing a citizens marathon on the same course during the Olympic games, They sure um, have. <laughs> which I have already told my wife, the travel agency owner, that we are doing if they have it. <laughs> um, and so sign me up for Paris 2024, the Citizens Marathon, which will take place the week before, or the week after, or something like that. Uh, and of course, we'll go to the Olympic Games and take my son to see some gymnastics. Because um, who knows what they'll be by then. Um, all right, y'all. Thanks for talking about the Olympics and all the fun stuff that happened therein. Eric, appreciate you. Hey, I love it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So, and Michelle, I always appreciate you. I look forward to getting that watch. (laughs) Ridiculous. Thanks, everybody. All right. Bye, guys. Good night. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, mostpleasantexhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's SlayRx.com, Facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter, at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx, the number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT21. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. See you next time.